Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture is kind of a go-to for me, especially during times of trouble and anxiousness, and maybe it is for you too. But what was Jesus really saying? This comes from Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. Do not worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into a fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So very true, but let's dig a little deeper and see how Jesus really felt about labor and work. The Rat Race. If you were a fighter pilot in 1934, you might have actually participated in a rat race. A rat race was when a group of fighter pilots would take off in their planes. There would be a lead plane and the others would try to stay with it. Despite all of its maneuvers and the different rolls and twists and turns that it would do, everyone would try to stay as close as they could to that lead plane. Therefore, it was called the rat race. In 1945, that term began to be used in a different way. It began to capture the sense of a competitive struggle. So just like there was a competition with those pilots, now it began to be a competition between citizens, a competitive struggle that not only affected your life, but especially affected the area of economics and work. So individuals since then have, to a certain degree, seen life as this competition. Competition within themselves, and a competition with another individual, or a company against a company. It's called the rat race. Perhaps you even use the term to describe your life at one time. 
that you felt you were in a rat race, always striving to, striving to keep up, to get ahead, not to lose ground. When you think about this in the context of work, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is it that we are actually chasing? Are we chasing a raise? Are we chasing a promotion? Are we chasing productivity? Are we chasing a sense of self-identity that the better I am at my job, the more money I make, the better I feel about myself? And if that is the case, if that's what we're chasing after, will we ever be able to actually catch it, to grab a hold of it? Does the rat race ever stop when it comes to life and work? Now, the answer to those questions can depend a lot upon one's socioeconomic status. For those who are on the lower end of that socioeconomic level, the rat race is purely survival. The reason they work is for subsistence. They work to acquire money so they can have shelter, clothing, food, and if they're lucky, reliable transportation. But when you move up the ladder just a little, and you find those individuals who perhaps lower class, middle class, and some perhaps even way up there, what ends up happening is there's a different feel. Now all of a sudden, what I'm chasing after is different. I'm chasing after subsistence, those things that I want. But now I'm chasing after relieving my debt. And depending upon the amount of debt, that might feel very, very frivolous. That it'll never be done. You'll never be able to keep up and make the ends meet. Because when you're on the border, it just takes very, very little for you to tip one direction and accumulate even more debt. But for those who are in the middle class with not as much debt or the upper class with very little debt or none, what they're chasing is different. You see, more than likely, they don't worry about the things that a lower class person worries about. They may have even more than just one home. They have gigantic closets, perhaps, plenty of food, maybe even a chef to cook it for them. And then when it comes to the rest of their money that they have acquired, it can be used on private goods. And we've seen this shift take place in our nation. There was used to be a predominance of community pools, and occasionally you can still find them in use. But instead, we've moved to private pools. We used to have a lot of rec buildings, people coming together. We still do, but we're also seeing more and more individuals have their own rec areas in their own homes. Basketball courts, volleyball courts, tennis courts, theaters, public, but also private. And then last of all, there is this sense of using one's wealth to accumulate even more wealth. And that's the problem right there, accumulation. 
And it's more than just for the upper class. It affects all of us. Because once you get bit by that bug, that bug of accumulation, it doesn't go away. It stays there. Perhaps you've gotten a rash, poison ivy, poison oak, mosquito bite, a chigger, and it itches. And you know you're not supposed to itch it, but it just itches. And so you itch it just a little to satisfy that urge. And for a moment, it goes away, and then as soon as you stop, a few seconds later, it's back, and you feel that itch again. That's a lot like accumulation, the desire to want more. Tom McGowan says the following, within capitalism, which is in America our primary economic system, within capitalism, accumulation has the status of a moral obligation. And we hear an internal voice urging us on for more. Despite whatever efforts we might make in obeying its voice, we can never quiet this voice or sate its appetite. No amount of accumulation is ever enough, either for us individually or for the capitalist society as a whole. The more we accumulate, the more we see there is for us to accumulate. Once we surrender to the demand for accumulation, we get sucked further and further in by it. Accumulation, wanting more. What is the basis of that? What is it that allows accumulation to burrow into our minds and create this mindset that there's never going to be enough, that is going to pit you against me. Because if you get more, I, in my mind, think I will get less. What is it? One eye possibility is what is called a scarcity mindset. The idea being that we think there's just not enough. It's very primitive. It goes back to this sense of survival. Hollis Phelps describes it this way when he says, one of the main reasons we accumulate wealth is in part a protective measure against the perceived scarcity of resources. Which also means that if you challenge the myth of scarcity, it also challenges the need for consumption. And so the system in which we are find ourselves living, it doesn't want us to stop consuming. So there's always this idea that is out there in our culture is that there's never enough. Think about you, your retirement. Do you have enough money? How do you know? Think about the resources that you currently have. Do you ever experience anxiety or fear that you might lose it all? Some catastrophe might happen in your life and whoop, it's gone. Have you felt that? Has that impacted your sleep? But the problem is, is this cycle, once you get on it, it's hard to get off. Because if you believe that there are limited resources out there, there's scarcity, 
then you will want to accumulate more. You will want to consume more. I imagine when Jesus said that you should not store up your goods here on earth, but rather in heaven, I wonder if he had in mind this idea of accumulation. So how do we get, how do we get off of it? How do we stop this rat race, if you would? Well, one option is you don't. You embrace it. Despite all the angst it might cause within you, man, you just, you soldier on. Another possibility, however, is to think to yourself, well, I'll just consume less. I'll downsize, have less stuff, buy less stuff. That's noble. As a society, we do overconsume. But that isn't going to fix the problem. It helps. It's much like an individual who buys a Prius in order to help climate change, to lessen the impact of the emissions of carbon into the air. It's awesome. It's something that more and more of us should be thinking about. But that's just a barely a blip on the changes that need to take place in our world to stop or slow down climate change. But there's a third option. And that option is found, I believe, in some of the teachings and stories of Jesus. Because Jesus seems to have a different mindset. Jesus doesn't have a mindset of scarcity. In fact, it's just the opposite. Jesus has a mindset of abundance. I mean, when you read through the Bible, it appears that Jesus has no problem consuming. He likes the excess. He likes luxury. Where his problem seems to lie is the, in the idea of accumulation. That's why Jesus asked his followers, just like he did, to leave their work, to leave their goods, and follow him. In the Gospel of Luke, the writer, he talks about this idea of Jesus in abundance, and Jesus being this one who consumed quite readily. And even though this text may be used by the writer to kind of rebut the accusations of those against Jesus, and maybe it is exaggerated a little, but you can't dismiss it completely. The writer is comparing John the Baptist in his lifestyle to that of Jesus. John the Baptist is an ascetic. He lives in poverty. Jesus also is homeless, perhaps lives in poverty. But the mindset is different. Notice what it says in Luke 7, 33 to 35. For the, John the Baptist came, neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, he has a demon in him. The Son of Man came, eating and drinking, 
and you say, ah, here, that one, he's a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus doesn't accumulate, but he has no problem consuming because he believes that there is abundance of resources in our earth, on our earth, and within humanity. I think back about some of the stories that were told about Jesus, and I wonder why would they tell these stories? I think some, one of the reasons is, is to emphasize this mindset. Jesus at the wedding in Cana, he is a perfect example of luxury. He turns the water into the wine, and the person in charge says, Whoa, you save the best wine for last. And what does Jesus do with that wine? He distributes it to everyone. I think about the stories in the Gospels where it talks about Jesus multiplying bread and fish. There's two things in those stories that captured my mind. Number one, there was abundance. There were leftovers. Jesus didn't go out and work to raise that money. The story has that Jesus believed there's an abundance. Now again, we don't have to take this literally, but we're supposed to see this idea that there is an abundance out there. And then the second idea is that Jesus again distributes it. He gives to everyone their fair share. And then I think about the parable of the banquet. And it's this luxurious banquet. And the parable has the elite being invited and they choose not to participate. And then towards the end of the parable, the individual throwing the banquet says, hey, go out and invite anyone and everyone. Again, there's this sense of abundance, not scarcity. And when there is this sense of abundance, then you're willing to share what you have and distribute it with others. There's no need to accumulate. Why? Because you can always get more. Do you see the shift in mindset? This idea that I have to hold on to what I have and I'm afraid that you're going to take it? To this idea that there's so much, why do I need to keep accumulating stuff? It doesn't mean that I stop consuming, but I quit accumulating because it's a shift in one's mind that takes place. This affects how we relate with each other. You see, in a scarcity mindset, it's you against me. Indivi raw individualism. Mine and my family. When you have a mindset of abundance, you don't mind sharing. You don't mind distributing it to other people because there's always more. We see our earth as this resource that if treated well, will continue to produce and give us what we really need. And we will see other people with abundant resources and skills and talents that can make a difference in the quality of life of other people. 
So what difference does this make? It's huge. In one way, we can see the effects of a global warming resulting from this scarcity mindset. It's based into our economic system, which encourages us to consume, because in order to accumulate more wealth, people have to spend more money. And so we will continue to use resources so that we will have more to purchase, more to buy. And so we, see, we are feeling the effects of that right now. As much as we may want to ignore it, it's real. But there's another one that is coming. And as long as we continue to have this scarcity mindset and the idea that I need to accumulate and continue to accumulate as much as I can, we're going to have a serious problem. It's already started. And it's called AI, artificial intelligence. During the Industrial Revolution, we saw a major shift in jobs. People lost jobs and had to be retrained into other areas. Some are projecting that within the next 20 to 30 years, we will have a large group of people who simply can't get jobs because the jobs aren't available. They have been replaced by artificial intelligence, robotics, biotechnology is moving us in this direction. And again, like global warming, we can ignore it. We can pretend it doesn't exist. But it is real. We can only keep our, our head buried in the sand for so long. And what will happen is if we don't address this mindset of scarcity, then we will see a greater, greater divide between the uber-wealthy and the rest of humanity. Because the uber-wealthy will be able to continue to rely upon their wealth to acquire more wealth. Where those who are poor who are now can't get jobs because they don't have the skill or simply because their jobs have been replaced by robotics or AIs. It's a real problem. For some of you, you might be in your 70s, 80s, 90s, and this sermon may be seem irrelevant to you. There's a good possibility you may not be alive in 30 years. That's me also. So what do we do? Do we just say, oh, we'll leave it to the next generation, let them worry about it? I hope not. And if you're a member of the Church of the Beatitudes, if you've been here for a few decades, if you remember our founding minister, Bill Nelson, then you will know that this church 
is not founded on complacency. If you go back, if you were to read some of Bill Nelson's sermons when he was in his 70s, early 80s, you find an individual who's continuing to look to the future. He doesn't always relish the glory days of the past. He acknowledges them, but he continues to ask the questions of the future. And this church is built on that. This church is grounded in the idea that we have a responsibility not only for our life, but for the next generation and the next generation, and that we have to do something now. And one of the things we can do in this area is to stop and look in our own lives. I'm going to be a little vulnerable with you right now. Right before I got in the car and came here, a headline flashed onto my phone. I haven't even had the chance to read the article. But the headline enough evoked emotions within me. The headline said that Mitt Romney, a senator from Utah, is talking about giving money to families, and apparently a lot of money. And it sounds like, and I'm not sure again because I haven't read the article, it might be, might be, just more than once. My first reaction to that came from a scarcity mindset because that is part of me. And it was like, well, I raised a family and no one gave me help. How is this fair? But that mindset, when I read the stories and the teachings of Jesus, I'm challenged to think about life differently. And it's not just up here, it's understanding the emotions, the feelings of fear, wanting security in my future, wanting to be in control. And then Jesus comes along and offers another possibility. So I encourage you to take the time and do some self-examination. Are, are you caught in this rat race of scarcity and accumulation? Are you willing to even think about what a mindset of abundance and distribution might look like? And if you are, we need to start talking to other people about it. This is a mindset that not only has to happen to us individually, it has to happen to us nationally and globally. Either we will find ourselves falling into a world of chaos, or we will find ourselves moving forward with a sense of enlightenment emotional maturity and well-being. This is real. 
You can ignore it, but it isn't going away. Perhaps now is the time as Christians to double down and begin to take what Jesus says a little bit more seriously. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.